cycles is only going to continue to release more carbon into the atmosphere. And we had our own experience with the climate disaster in Vermont during Hurricane Irene in 2011, when almost every river and stream in Vermont flooded. Um, People affected by Irene the most have been the poor. Um, Land is often cheaper in low-lying areas where flooding is more likely to occur. Um, And many families who couldn't afford new housing or to live with family and friends that had enough space for them were living in motels for over a year. Um, Rural communities were cut off due to roads and bridges collapsing. And like in Haiti, the government was slow to respond to these rural areas as well. You know, it's interesting, Marisa, because the history of Springfield, Vermont, specifically was to have all of the poor people live down by the river while the wealthier people who owned the factories, all of their houses were up on the hills of Springfield. They knew well that it was likely rivers were going to flood. Yeah, and I think that right here in Brattleboro too, Becca, I mean... You see schools on the hill. We have many schools right here, Putney and Brattleboro, that are way up on the hill, um, and trailer parks that are in the low-lying areas. Um, and and people know that this is the case, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately can't afford the higher area land. Yeah. And, it, I mean, just one more example to throw in there. In New Orleans, the only the people who live below sea level were those people who were poor, And we saw after Hurricane Katrina that they also were almost ignored and forgotten in the response. Great. So, and this is happening all over the world. Um, When so-called natural disasters strike, the poor hit the hardest. Um, We're going to go now to a song called Haiti Pafor by Mano Charlemagne, a Haitian political folk singer, songwriter, and acoustic guitarist lifelong political activist and a former politician. After, we'll hear from Ray LaForest, a Haitian labor organizer and political activist. Um, so again, this is Indigo Radio. Join us every Sunday from noon to one. Um, and today, our topic is on Haiti. So quick, femme, ti Joseph. Je dis ou pas emmerder moi. Non, c'est vous tablati. Pour dom c'est vous malin. Que va passer mes souli. Ça fait me parer ici. Tant qu'on compte mimi. Pas de bien bon professeur. Qui pour te montrer me couler, qui pour te faire moins clair. C'est une vérité, acte d'indépendance nous enterrer. Et c'est ça qui fait nous dans la vie, n'a demandé. Si Haïti pas forêt, ou joint toute bête la dame, ou joint lion, ou joint tigre, ou joint chat, ou joint rat, ou joint même léopard, qui léopard souple, 
Um bando fofo mal masqué Si gen n'importe tibri Tibri tankou la toti Léopapra kouri oui L'offre sa ma peu Pasko se ma koutou kompren Nou kap kaponè Ou rale ou zi ou la Mwen rilak sou Ou rale baton gayak la Mwen bikoul sou ou se vre Tonè men l'offre sa ma peu Pasko se ma koutou kompren Nou kap kaponè Ou rale ou zi ou la Mwen rilak sou Ou rale baton gayak la Mwen bikoul sou ou tonè Kaze Michel Venet I am sorry for you C'est l'envie de yo Wanga de pepa isien Ou voye papa ou A l'achete doa bon Pou vin bomba de la jeunesse En Haïti qui déclare Que de jou kaye la poko fini Konse gouvernement Chage tonton ma kout De jou kaye la poko fini Konse gouvernement Gen regal a la dan Des jours qu'il n'y a pas qu'on finit Quand c'est gouvernement qui est trop volé là Demain l'offre ça m'a peur Parce que c'est ma couture qu'on prend Nous cap cap on aime Ou aller ou zi ou la Moi relax ou Ou aller pas ton gaillac là Moi bicoule sou C'est vrai ton aime L'offre ça m'a peur Parce que c'est ma couture qu'on prend Nous cap cap on aime Ou aller ou zi ou la Mwen rilak sou, ou rale pa ton gayak la Mwen bikoul sou, se vre, ton emen l'onfe sa ma pe ou Pasko se ma koutou kompon nou kap kaponen Ou rale ou zi ou la, mwen rilak sou So that was a song called Aite Parfor by Mano Charlemagne Haitian political folk singer, songwriter, and acoustic guitarist, and lifelong political activist and former politician. Uh, this is Indigo Radio, streaming noon on Sundays, and my name is Marisa Nielsen. I'm here with Becca Polk and Chris Levensey. We are all teachers. I teach fourth grade, and Becca and Chris teach middle and high school humanities. And before we continue with our show about Haiti, we just wanted to let the audience members know about a upcoming event against the Dakota Access Pipeline on November 4th. That's a Friday gallery walk. From 5 to 7 p.m., we'll be outside of TD Bank on Main Street in Brattleboro. And we'll be standing there in solidarity with the water protectors at Standing Rock who are in resistance to the Dakota Access Pipeline. One of the reasons that we will be out front of TD Bank is because major financial institutions such as Citigroup, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, and TD Securities are providing the loans to the company, uh, the Dakota Access Company, to build the project that is going through not only major drinking water, um, but also sacred sites of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. And so it's very relevant to our show today, um, talking about climate and climate change and global warming. Do you feel like, Marisa, that when we hear about these disasters that are happening around the world, that do you ever hear it connected to global warming or climate change on the media? 
Not I, I would say not on the mainstream media at all. Um, I think that the mainstream media has been bought out by a lot of companies that have been um, funding oil um, and the extraction of oil from the ground. So I think that um, <clears throat> it's it's quite obvious why mainstream media wouldn't be reporting on climate disasters and the relationship um, between climate change and these so-called natural disasters. Um, so, but but I do think that uh, shows like Democracy Now is is the, my go-to, um, mm-hmm. and reader-supported news um, are are sites that I go to to find uh, more relevant and realistic sources of information. Yeah, and I find um, bringing it back to our focus of the show today, Haiti, that um, the devastation of the recent uh, hurricane in Haiti and in Cuba and in Florida has not explicitly been connected to human-made disasters. And that's what we're going to bring on our guest, Ray LaForest, to talk about in a, right now. Hi, Ray. Are you there? Yes, I, I, now I can hear you. Oh, How good. are you doing? Good. Hey, Ray, this is Becca. I'm here with Marisa in the show. Good to have you on. Same here, same here. You, sound, you guys sound great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so Ray is a labor, labor organizer and also had to flee the dictatorship in Haiti because of his political organizing. And he's a former member of the Pacifica National Board and co-founder of Haitian Constituency in the U.S. And so, Ray, we just heard from Mano Charlemagne. Is, am, am I c- pronouncing his name correctly? Well, it's Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Um, yes. And we heard the song IT Pa 4. Uh, could yes. you describe what that song was about? Uh, actually, he's, uh, he's been called the, the uh, Bob Marley of Haiti. Uh, he's as talented, and uh, his politics, though, are more focused on Haiti, more detailed, more political, quote unquote, you could say. Uh, and uh, actually, the, the the word is actually forêt in in Creole, in Haitian Creole, and it's a sarcastic look at the. This is a song that was written at the end of the the government of Baby Dark, and uh, one of the uh, one of the units, oppressive units, was created by Baby Dark was called the leopards, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, so he was taking in different kind of animals, including leopards, that are roaming Haiti. And uh, so basically it's a song of resistance and um, talking about um, not only resistance uh, politically, but also resistance to violence. Uh, at some point he, he talks about uh, uh, you pull your Uzi on me, but I will not stop fighting. And uh, But it's been a very long struggle, a very long struggle. And at, at some point... Uh, uh, he he was in exile, and Baby Doc uh, was back in Haiti. So I guess I can tell you how difficult that fight is. Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, Haiti should always be in everyone's minds because it's co- the, co- the struggle is constant there. Um, but even more so, especially after these recent, we're calling them so-called man-made disasters. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what's happening in Haiti today after the catastrophes of the hurricane? Well, they were hit pretty badly. Uh, Haiti uh, uh, and Cuba probably were hit the, the hardest. 
because of the position. So the, the hurricane hit Jamaica first, and uh, the whole southwestern peninsula of the island, uh, probably close to a third of the island was uh, flattened. Uh, some of the cities, such as Jeremy, which is probably the, uh, uh, it's actually the third largest city in the country, about 80% of the, of, of the buildings were completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, water, uh, people died. There were uh, conflicting figures about death. At some point, they were close, they were talking close to 900 wow. or more. And, uh, but apparently it was conflicting, uh, information not being collected or reported in a systematic way. And, um, and the government later, uh, reduced that number to closer to 400, although some people might die later. Um, and, but it's, in a way, it's an encouraging, uh, source because some of the more, uh, less reliable, uh, uh, Embarrassing government of Haiti have times used, uh, uh, you know, disasters like that to exaggerate the figure so that they could, uh, because there's corruption surrounding that, so that they could put their hand on it. Uh, so the government that's in power now, not even though it's a temporary, provisional government, uh, is taking it more seriously. Mm. Um, but still, they, they bridges uh, linking the area to the west of the country were knocked down. So for uh, about a week, uh, uh, most people were not rich yet uh, uh, by, by, by assistance. Most people died because of uh, trees and, and, and uh, debris being hit by trees and falling trees and flying debris and flying, you know, walls and, of course, drowning. Um, How do you think the conditions previously in Haiti made the people more um, like vulnerable when the, these storms come through? Well, not only Haiti had uh, Haiti had a huge uh, earthquake in 2010, and shortly before that, there was another storm that was pretty devastating. Also, there were two of them actually. So Haiti never had the chance to recover, and um, the. Uh, uh, 1.5 million people, uh, up to, well, I would say around 300,000 uh, people were killed during the earthquake, and uh, 1.5 million people were actually displaced. This time around, 1.4 were affected, but not on, to the same degree. And uh, I would say uh, there are hundreds of thousands, probably at least 85,000 of people who, who still have not found shelter, and people were put in areas where there was no water, no no sanitation, and um, and I heard, as I heard you say uh, earlier, or somebody said on the on your show, uh, except in Haiti it's tenfold, I guess, uh, the population is is so deprived of resources and support from the you know from the government, lacking of infrastructure, that people sometimes live very close to the water, and uh, they. Um, so there was not a systematic. People actually were told by this government to move. Unfortunately, before that, sometimes people would not even get instructions until very late. Mm-hmm. And people doubted that uh, it didn't look like it was that serious. And uh, so there were many factors uh, that played a role in that. But the previous, uh, uh, the lack of, uh, of resources, the lack of infrastructure, of, of uh, structural things such as, you know, heavy equipment, Bridge that would be strong enough, and so on. All that contributed to the to the 
to the impact. Right. I think this is Marisa speaking. I, I, I would agree. And I think that a common misconception here is that um, people have been told to leave, but um, don't want to. Whereas, and that's what's reported in our mainstream news, is that people have been told to leave but don't want to leave instead of people have been told to leave but really don't have the means to leave. Um, they can't afford to go anywhere, um, anywhere else. Exactly. If you have a population whose majority is completely uh, without any resources, I mean literally unable to go to a hotel, don't have a car, don't have enough money to leave the house and pay for food, you know, I don't know, five, ten miles away, uh, these people are unable to, to move, unable to move. And uh, so when you have, uh, for example, even in Port-au-Prince, there's one fire department mm. in the wow. capital, uh, which has more than two million people. So the ambulances don't exist. So it is really a, a disaster of uh, epic proportion. And... and uh, I heard an interview from Al Jazeera of a resident in the town of Jeremy. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. and this, this resident said, we already didn't have enough food, and now we've lost all of our, tr- all of our crops. We don't know how we're going to deal with this. And I was wondering exactly. if you could this, this is the point I was going to make, is that many of the crops, plant, plantain, bananas, uh, have, uh, were, were still in the field and have been destroyed. And there are areas where there's still water now, um, standing water. And um, so this is really very difficult to imagine. You would have to almost see pictures. Because we, uh, short of what happened in New Orleans, we really have nothing that corresponds to some such a disaster on such a level. Mm-hmm. And lack of uh, support from, from, from the government in, which, in being able to respond properly. Uh, for example, days after uh, uh, the, the, some of the, the injuries were, were fractured bones, and uh, you have people walking around up to sometimes their waist in dirty water, and uh, somebody has a fractured bone or something, uh, a, a compound fracture, and then you're talking about serious trouble, you're talking about infection. Another aspect that, that already existed uh, and, and that got serious is the presence of cholera, in Haiti. Um, and can and you again, talk a little bit imagine, for our listeners, Ray, about why there is cholera in Haiti today? Yes, well, uh, Haiti has no history of cholera, really. And, um, however, uh, Haiti has been occupied for more than 10 years by UN troops after the over- second overthrow of President Aristide. And... Um, so uh, they were seriously careless in utilizing troops from Nepal and Southeast Asia, where uh, cholera is endemic. Now, I understand that part of the problem was that uh, people were selected to, to serve in Haiti in the UN troops, were allowed to uh, uh, leave before they, 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 uh, they traveled. Uh, so these individuals brought cholera uh, with them, and um, uh, they, they, they would have latrines that would be dug into the ground, and when they lifted a level, the stuff would be pumped into tributaries that actually ended in rivers where people drank water, mm-hmm. swam, and used water to prepare food. As a result, more than 10,000 Haitians have died, 
um, and uh, about uh, eight, more than 800,000 people have been affected. And by the way, these are very ugly illness. Uh, it's, uh, uh, even among those people who have survived, it's, uh, it, it drains you. It's a very humiliating illness disease to have to deal with. And it's only recently, finally, after so many years, uh, that the UN accepted some stability. Mm. And you know, it's such a contradiction, Ray, that the UN military occupation, as you called it, is actually referred to as a peacekeeping mission. And it kind of shows the um, hypocrisy of the international community. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the role of the UN as well as NGOs in Haiti today? Yeah, well, some of the impact have been involuntary uh, in the sense that you have a huge... Uh, well, the, I should go back a little bit further. Uh, some of it uh, came uh, in the context, uh, as I said, Aristide was overthrown for the second time on a return when uh, he agreed to sign a, uh, an economic agreement uh, in Paris that... Uh, stipulated uh, execution of a uh, sorry, um, neoliberal program where uh, all institutions, public institutions, in Haiti, the state is the largest employer. All public institutions would either be closed or privatized, and um, tariffs would be removed from foreign goods to allow supposedly competition. And the result of that, for example, was that uh, Haitian rice was completely unable to compete and was wiped out. And in some cases, uh, assistance in the form of long-lasting goods such as sneakers and sometimes second-hand clothing wound up destroying uh, uh, industries, uh, local industries, in those products in Haiti. So, uh, but the, the presence of the NGOs to the level that Haiti is known now in, this, in those circles of the Republic of NGOs was a way, I went back, as I said, and um, apparently uh, had decided that he was not going to betray the, the, the trust that was put in him. So even though he had accepted to go back and implement a, uh, a program that the Asian people had called the death plan for Haiti, uh, that he would try to fake it. So uh, as it became clear that he was not uh, uh, following uh, the dictates of the American government, um, they decided, the, the U.S. government decided, the, uh, at that point it was the Bush family, uh, decided that they would, um, they would not provide, they would deny the Haitian government any direct assistance. So assistance was funneled through NGOs, and the NGOs was, were encouraged not to coordinate, not to listen to the Asian government. So the government was completely disempowered. So that, uh, that brought uh, this level of, uh, of uh, occupation, you could say. Um, and because there was no coordination, many individual groups or individuals duplicated uh, uh, projects or had projects that lasted six months and then picked up and went home. And whereas the situation they were dealing with uh, still existed, um, and uh, it, it, the economic impact also was that, for example, in the, in the area of housing, uh, you have individuals whose salary sometimes match the salary of the president of the country, whose housing was paid by United Nations or the organizations, so that uh, the, the, the housing that the middle class, let's say, would rent from people who had extra homes 
this became completely prohibitive. Foodstuff, uh, again, you had the usual amount of individuals buying food at a much higher price. Um, um, a lot of the food became imported at that point to correspond to those individuals' taste, and, uh, and, uh, and hunger rose tremendously. Uh, during one of those periods, uh, Haitians who actually, unfortunately, no hunger coined a new term, which was called Clorox hunger. And that was the feeling that, uh, as you know, Clorox is a bleach, that uh, the hunger was experienced as though somebody had pulled Clorox into, you, into your stomach. And um, that feeling was actually due to, uh, uh, you know, individuals being deprived of food for so long that, that gastric juices were, were literally eating the, the, the walls, the lining of the stomach. So uh, this government right now, fortunately, has taken the position that the, 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 the assistance has to be coordinated. Uh, one of the biggest uh, disappointment disasters down there along those lines was um, the Red Cross. The Red Cross is one of the largest organizations providing such assistance in the world. After Mrs. Obama, Ms. Michelle Obama, got on television and urged people to send resources to them, they collected more than $100 million. Yeah, I think there was a new study in ProPublica that with the so hundred, 130,000 homes that the Red Cross claimed to have built, that only six were actually built. And I was well, going to ask you, more Ray... temporary housing built, but only six, six permanent homes were built, which is just mind-boggling. Yeah. Ray, mind we have about two also, more minutes left. The way left. the system is set up, the system is set up so that a lot of the so-called assistance is used to purchase goods in the, in, the, in the donor country. For example, at some point, the United States sent military to Haiti to occupy the country and uh, control the country. And the cost, I think $600 million out of that, was subtracted from the assistance donated by the United States. Yeah. Ray, we have about two minutes left. I wanted to ask you one final question. You know, there's this idea that um, maybe the Red Cross was just incompetent or that the U.S. government just made some bad choices and things got really messed up. And I'm wondering if you could talk about what you think the U.S. had, what the interests of the U.S. are in Haiti. Well, the, the, the U.S. is concerned, uh, Haiti uh, having reached such a desperate level, the U.S. Are, is afraid that Haiti would choose uh, um, you know, radical means to, to control their own destiny. And in the process of doing that, they're trying to uh, uh, fit the assistance within the context of a government that is permanently subservient to, to dictates of the U.S. And this is why uh, a government as, as moderate, one would say, as the IEC administrations, IEC was overthrown twice. Uh, um, so, but also within this context of dictating from the outside, um, what is when you are assisting uh, people, such like such as in these situations, these people themselves and the representatives have to tell you what they need, and and in what capacity and where, and they have to be part of the process. And this was not observed at all. Um, in this particular moment, the the great government of Haiti, as I say, as as announced that they wanted to coordinate it, and unfortunately the reality did not really allow them to control it properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, one of the assistance that people can provide to the Haitian people is 
the ability to choose their own representative government that would fight for them, that would uh, take care of their needs. Uh, for, I mean, and a clear example of that is that Cuba was hit uh, in a smaller area, but as hard as Haiti. And uh, for many days, not one person died. Towards the end, four individuals died. And, um, and the reason is that immediately the government had uh, moved uh, more than 200,000 people yeah. out of the area, which never happened in Haiti. Well, and that brings so, us back to kind of the theme of this show, that these disasters are human-made and that there's a lot of reason to say that. Um, and so, Ray, we have to end here. But I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on our show. And we'll definitely keep following what's happening in Haiti, especially with the elections being postponed. As, as you said, that's something people in the U.S. can do is demand free and fair elections. And so we'll definitely follow up and hope to have you on the show again. Well, thank you very much. I congratulate you guys on having the show. And uh, I'll be listening to it from now on. Okay, wonderful. Thank, thank you, you Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. That was um, Ray LaForest, a political organizer um, and co-founder of Haitian Constituency USA. Um, Ray was just talking about the effects of imperialism, U.S. imperialism in Haiti, and why the devastation was so, so severe there. Um, some great connections were made. We're going to take a short song break and go to Short Memory by Midnight Oil. And we'll be back after that. Conquistador of Mexico, the Zulu and the Navajo, the Belgians in the Congo, short memory. In Virginia, the Raj in British India, the deadline in South Africa, short memory. The story of El Salvador, the silence of Hiroshima, destruction of Cambodia, short memory.
Coyle. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections, streaming noon on Sundays. Today, um, I'm speaking, I'm Marisa Nielsen, I'm speaking with Becca Polk. Um, we're making some connections between the Hurricane Matthew that recently happened in Haiti uh, to Vermont to um, the U.S. imperialism. The song we just heard, Short Memory, um, is all about the history of imperialism and militarization by the U.S. Um, in large part all over the globe. Mm. Um, Becca, do you want to talk a little bit about Ray and and what yeah. we just heard? I mean, we just heard a lot from Ray LaForest talking about the devastating effects of this recent hurricane Matthew as being exacerbated by a purposeful underdevelopment of Haiti by the international community. And now we have Kim Ives on the line with us, editor of Haiti Liberté. And also, um, Kim, I got this bio offline, so I don't know if it's still correct, but the host of a weekly Haiti show on WBAI-FM, as well That's as correct. a filmmaker and who's produced several documentaries about Haiti. That's correct. And um, principally, I'm the English language editor at Haiti Liberté News Weekly, the largest Haitian news weekly. Right. Thank you so much for coming on the radio with us today. Well, glad to be with you. And so, Kim, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the history of Haiti in relationship with um, other countries um, as kind of setting the stage for what's happening today. Well, as uh, your listeners may know, uh, Haiti was the first major island that uh, Columbus landed on, or crash-landed, I should say, his... uh, uh, boat, the Santa Maria, sank in a storm off of Haiti's north coast in 1492, and they built the Navidad out of it, or according to some historians, it became the Navidad. And uh, Spain went on to conquer the island, uh, which was called by the Arawak Indians, the original inhabitants, uh, Haiti, which means mountainous country. Uh, they Columbus renamed it Hispaniola in uh, honor of uh, his patrons, uh, Isabel and Ferdinand of Spain. And uh, it uh, grew to become the most wealthy colony of the New World, uh, much richer in terms of its product than the 13 English colonies. And um, buccaneers mostly French pirates, used to uh, ambush the Spanish galleons going uh, back and forth between Europe and the Caribbean. And um, they set up on an island just north of Haiti, which is now part of Haiti, called Ile de la Tortue. Uh, and they, they were, in fact, were called buccaneers because their campfires, the boucan, could be seen from the mainland, so they called them the boucaniers. And uh, gradually they began to settle the western end of the island, and that uh, became uh, the French colony of Saint-Domingue in 1697 after the Treaty of Ryswick uh, between Spain and England and France. And uh, then Haiti, uh, as many people know, became the first and last successful slave revolution where the uh, Haitian masses, the masses of Haitian uh, of uh, s- slaves in Saint-Domingue. There were about 500,000 slaves to about uh, 10,000 
uh, Europeans or whites. Uh, some of them were small artisans, and some of them were uh, uh, plantation managers. Most of the owners actually lived in France. <clears throat> and Haiti became the first independent nation of Latin America and the first black republic. So this really sets the stage for Haiti becoming the touchstone of revolution in the hemisphere. It was the Haitians who gave uh, Francisco de Miranda and uh, Simon Bolivar at the beginning of the 19th century the uh, boats and guns and printing presses and even soldiers that they used to liberate the continent and create um, the countries of Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, in fact, and all the flags of uh, the northern uh, South American countries, you'll see the Haitian flag, the red and blue of the Haitian flag, which was in honor of um, the Haitians. But uh, the U.S. Uh, was extremely alarmed by the rise of this self-liberated slave state, uh, a former slave state uh, just south of them, which inspired Nat Turner, inspired uh, uh, many rebellions throughout uh, the Americas, and uh, so they uh, embargoed the country basically for its first 60 years. It wasn't until the Civil War, 1862, that uh, they uh, uh, recognized Haiti, and there ensued after that uh, a lot of gunboat diplomacy, (laughs) you could say, uh, with uh, raids by uh, U.S. Marines in Haiti. Uh, as well as skirmishes with Germans, and there were all sorts of inter-colonial and uh, uh, inter-imperialist rivalries and uh, fighting going on at the time. But in 1915, the U.S. Marines invaded Haiti uh, and uh, took over the country basically for the next 20 years until 1934. And uh, that was part of a larger uh, campaign of uh, interventions throughout Latin America, Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, uh, uh, well, as well as in the Philippines and other countries. Uh, and the um, result was a, a great deal of resentment and anger among Haitians. Uh, but, it, you know, Haiti had always been this rebellious. I mean, even uh, the um, leader of the uh, uh, Cuban Revolution uh, in the end of the 19th century, uh, uh, Jose Marti left from Cape Haitian. So uh, there's a statue of him there. So uh, Haiti has always had this uh, rapport of being a touchstone for revolutions, but it has always also been, uh, I could say, uh, uh, held at arm's length. If, for instance, after allowing uh, Bolivar and uh, other South American revolutionaries to carry out their revolutions. When there was a big Congress in Colombia uh, at the end of those revolutions, uh, Haiti was barred from it. Why? Because the U.S. didn't want it there. And, in fact, uh, uh, Haiti uh, became a pariah uh, at that time. Uh, But um, it has uh, gone on to have this sort of uh, a rebellious uh, culture and history uh, to the point where the U.S., after Haiti uh, again became a sort of uh, 
uh, a groundbreaking nation in 1990 with the election of Jean-Bertrand Aristide. This was the first time that uh, uh, U.S. election engineering had been foiled, in fact, by a uh, by a, a local candidate. Usually they were won the way elections here are usually won. The candidate with the most money wins. But in Haiti, uh, uh, the former slum priest, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, was outspent about uh, 72 to 1 by his opponent, U.S.-supported former World Bank economist Mark Bazin. And uh, um, at that point, uh, uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela and Evo Morales in Bolivia, they all looked at this example that Haiti had just traced, and soon we had a, a wave of sort of uh, pink revolutions across the continent uh, to the point where um, South America sort of got out of control of Washington. They're gradually resting it back country by country now. We could talk about that some other time. But <laughs> so, Haiti Kim, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I know that um, a lot of people think of imperialism as like something that happened long ago, and I'm thinking about when Haiti first was um, self-liberated, as you say, by the enslaved pe- masses on the country, that they had to pay France $22 billion in reparation and I'm wondering how that set the stage for this like foreign government meddling within trade agreements and debt and um, some of the free trade zones that we see now today in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. In fact, there was 150 million gold francs that uh, that was the indemnity that uh, uh, France demanded for losing its its slaves and colonies in uh, 1804, and its colony in 1804, and uh, that was uh, calculated in the year of uh, 2003 by the Aristide government to be worth $21.7 billion that France owed Haiti. Uh, of course, that was one of the reasons why France uh, sided with the U.S. Uh, in the 2004 coup. Uh, y- yes, the, the Haiti has... Uh, uh, become, um, I could say, again, a groundbreaking nation in that respect, because now the other countries of the uh, of uh, the Caribbean are also asking for reparations from uh, the former colonial countries. So, uh, again, at that time, uh, Haiti was seen as being way out front. Uh, um, so, in terms of sort of the occupation, just to sort of simplify a little, I mean, there's no greater misnomer than non-governmental organization, NGO. Uh, I mean, all these NGOs are generally governmental organizations. They are the new missionaries. They are the, I could say, uh, 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 filial, they say in French, the uh, uh, roots of uh, imperialism. Uh, And they come into the country, and this is what we're seeing today after Hurricane Matthew, what we saw in 2010 after the earthquake, is that uh, they uh, establish really counter-governments. They undermine, sabotage, and stand in opposition to essentially the central Haitian government, because this is the point of um, the a lot of the aid of the U.S., France, Canada, who are the principal imperialist powers, we could say, in Haiti, uh, it is to weaken and create 
alternative forms of what they call governance uh, outside of it. So uh, the a lot of the aid gets funneled not to the Haitian government as it should be. They should be able to direct and control and monitor and coordinate the uh, response to these disasters and earthquakes and its development in general. But instead it goes through NGOs, the Red Cross, Oxfam, Partners in Health, you name it. You have a, a slew of them, some of them progressively, some of them not so much, uh, who uh, basically end up being a sort of counterpower to the Haitian government. And, as the government and Kim, we have about one minute left. So I was wondering if you could just briefly talk about the Clinton Foundation as the example of what you're talking about with the alternative forms of governance. Yeah, well, in a way, the Clinton Foundation is really uh, the, uh, a lot of emphasis has gone on the Clinton Foundation, but the, the, the real culprit, for instance, in Haiti was a thing called the Interim Haiti Recovery Commission, of which uh, the Clinton Foundation was really just a part. That was headed by Bill Clinton, this IHRC, as it was called, uh, which uh, the acronym uh, is also Hillary Rodham Clinton, uh, maybe an accident. A lot of patients <laughs> don't think so. Uh, but the IHRC raised about $10 billion, only about 3% of which has been accounted for. Where did the other 97% go? Well, the same thing. Uh, was the question posed to the Clinton Foundation, which raised $30 million. Uh, so it you know, was not quite in the same league, but a lot of that was channeled in through the IHRC. So in, in many cases, in, in fact, the IHRC controlled the Haitian economy for 18 months after the earthquake. And this was one of the reasons why there was, in, a, in essence, what um, an OAS representative called an electoral coup d'etat against former President uh, René Proval in uh, 2010. And so, uh, so Kim, I'm sorry, we uh, have to end yeah. it there. Um, just a final word, thinking about um, what, how this, how this connects to the world we live in today. And so we'll we'll take the words that you <laughs> brought in with us and try to summarize it in a couple minutes at the very end of the show. But okay, to, very good. Thank yeah, you so much for hopefully coming. Hopefully, next on. time we'll have more time. I know. <laughs> we'll have okay. a follow-up part two show. Yes, I know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you okay. so much, Kim. Talk to you. Bye. Bye. That was Kim Ives speaking with us. Um, and this is, again, Indigo Radio, Deepening Understanding, Making Connections. Uh, you're listening to WVEW LP Brattleboro. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not of the radio station. Um, we're going to take a short break and listen to We Beat Napoleon by Stray Palm, and then we'll be back to do some concluding thoughts. Thanks so much for being with us. We be Napoleon, yep, we be Napoleon. 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 Nowadays you could die from too much sodium. We hearing lies from the guys behind the podiums. But while the whole world is warm for petroleum, we can't forget that the Haitians beat Napoleon. 
Yup, it started 1791. The whip cracker cracker said, This is what I need done. A voodoo priest gazed high into the shiny sun and thought I'd probably get caught if I try to run. I cannot make it so they'll never be pursuing me. He held a ceremony, started preaching unity. Within 10 days of taking out Revenge Day, took over the North Province, bondage abolished. By the next year, 1792, they gained a third of the island since the fight ensued. Niggas was wildin', French bodies was piling. They tried to give rights to the free, the end of violence. But it was too late, the Haitians wasn't giving in to leave their kin in the condition they was living in. By seven trade, the French was warm with the Brits. The Spanish took the British side and got up in the mix. The blacks fought along with Spain. The French caved and emancipated all these slaves. It wasn't over though, cuz. Britain and Spain figured they was royalty was set in the rain. So a black commander who was fighting for the Spanish crown fought for the French. Former slaves held them down. This was in '74. They fought for four years. Sent the British home running. They was all tears. In 1800s went to Santa Domingo and by '01 they freed the slaves from the gringos. But Napoleon needed slaves. He tricked the commander and then he had them locked away. For a few months Napoleon was back in power, but then the general took wind with smelling something sour. His name was Dessalines. He led an extra rebellion and chased him out the scene. His body sunk in the ravine. Established a republic policy was closed door since the first of the year in 1804. Big up to Dessalines. Big up to Toussaint. Big up to Bookman. Big up to Petion. January the first. Don't watch the ball drop. We celebrate independence. Bring out all stops. Masubjumuat. Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks everyone's books for their support of this station. So that was We Beat Napoleon by Stray Palm and Everyone's Books, a great resource for teachers. Um, They give discounts to teachers, and I think that they're a very anti-imperialist bookstore. Um, We have been speaking about Haiti today on our show. I'm Marisa. I'm here with Chris and Becca. We are all local teachers. Um, We've been talking about Hurricane Matthew in Haiti and the reasons for its so so devastating effects. Um, And I think, I mean, the last guest on our show, well, both Ray and Kim really helped us to understand that since Haiti was self-liberated by the masses of enslaved people on the island, that they have really been occupied by um, both imperialist countries, but also f- the so-called NGOs as a way to kind of show this this example of resistance is not going to succeed. I thought Kim said it quite well when he said there's no greater misnomer than NGOs. They are the new missionaries and the roots of imperialism. Um, I think that oftentimes we 
we think of these NGOs, especially local ones, as trying to uh, do good, but um, in the greater global scheme, they're they're used as the missionaries to undermine, weaken, weaken, and stand in opposition to local govern governance. Yeah, and it just shows how important it is to really understand the history and um, contextualize a situation that sending money people see on TV, oh, this is so devastating. It is, it truly is heartbreaking to see a hurricane come through and kill up to 900 people. It's it's devastating, but without understanding the history of Haiti, people's responses to that so-called natural disaster are misinformed. Right, exactly. And I, I would also say that um, we heard a little bit earlier from Ray LaForest, who spoke about neoliberal programs um, that are supposedly allowing more competition that really... Um, devalue the the local economy making products way more expensive um and resistance to that i can prove to be um really really hurtful um and it and it was to the haitian government and it reminds me of the relationship that the u.s has with mexico now um after trade agreements that have devalued um the price of corn in Mexico and have forced um, farm workers off of their lands. They can't afford to farm anymore and are um, look, having to look for work elsewhere. So I think there's a lot of connections that can be made with that as well. Yeah. And there definitely is in countries like Mexico and Haiti who have been um, kind of manipulated for the interest of an outside force. There's also the aspect of maintaining a low minimum wage as part of these free trade deals that if you ask the question that you brought up earlier, Marisa, to Ray about why, like that people don't have the access or the means to leave when they're told to evacuate. And you think about um, Hillary Clinton was part of maintaining a minimum wage, opposing 60, a raise of 60 cents an hour. Mm. You know, that's five or six dollars a day that that was opposed, that that was so much against the interests of um, the U.S. government that um, it's directly connected to why people were not able to leave their homes. Right. And I think that we see that um, in all sorts of so-called natural disasters throughout the world from uh, Katrina um, to tsunamis in, in lots of different places as well and earthquakes um, so we are out of time now, um, but again, you're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. We're streaming at noon on Sundays. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. Please do follow us on Facebook um, where you can link to past shows. And we really do um, welcome your feedback and comments, too. Um, we hope this is informative for, for community members um, as well. So... We are going to play a last song for you, Fela Kuti, Colonial Mentality. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Mentality. If you say if you follow me, I don't mind. You don't be slave. 
Yeah, I say you fit 